Welcome everyone. Um, we got some background noise today, uh, but we love it. Uh, it's our kids. Uh, for us parents, it's kind of normal. For some of us, maybe kind of like, um, you know, uh, maybe unnatural, um, maybe weird. <laughs> but because uh, you're not around kids that age, though we all were kids. Um, so, but um, we're just so thankful to have you. I know uh, uh, there is uh, some guests that we're, we're having here, so we welcome you and uh, some old faces, some new faces, like Grace said, but some some old ones that have never been at church either. So I, I think uh, um, so so thankful that you're here uh, today. But uh, I'm excited because we're actually starting a new series uh, today, um, and it's a series on Acts. Um, it is not um, it is not something we haven't done in the past. We actually did uh, an act series last summer around the same time, late spring, going into summer. And it's called Acts Sent to Sent. And we went through the first third of the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts is really a big book, about 28 chapters. And it basically narrates uh, the... The Acts of the Apostles, you know, the, the book itself tell you what it is. It's basically what the Apostles, that is Christ's disciples, did right after his resurrection, ascension, and the sending of the Spirit. So that was when the church, the community of, of those that followed Jesus went forth into the nations. And it is because of that act of obedience that we're here today, 2,000 years later. It just spread out all the way here, you know, um, and that is like the effect that we have seen of the gospel. So, um, as I said, um, we are just picking up where we left off, basically, uh, last year, uh, and we're st- we are starting from chapter 10. Uh, that means that we've gone through nine chapters, and we've recorded it all. So... Uh, as I said, we're learning here uh, um, the sending nature of the triune God, as well as the importance of the church's empowerment by the Holy Spirit to go and embody Christ on earth. And, and here are just some uh, themes that we touched on last first third of the Book of Acts series last summer. And I'm just going to mention them uh, really quick. So I can give you a little bit of context on what we're getting into. Though each chapter is kind of like all-encompassing by itself, because it has a lot of good stuff that we can learn. But regardless of that, I think it's important to know the context. Um, And some of these themes were empowerment of the Holy Spirit to the church to bring the good news of hope to the world. It also what it means uh, to have boldness in the midst of suffering. God's mysterious ways of working in the midst of opposition, uh, how the church is to engage um, in supernatural ways to bring forth Christ's healing to a broken world, but how also we are met with supernatural opposition by the enemy that wants, us, that wants to stop us. Uh, the Holy Spirit, we also talk about the Holy Spirit as a gift and the importance and centrality of grace that is undeserved favor. Um, as a pillar of Christianity through the story of Philip, Simon the Magician, and Peter the Apostle. So we talked about that too. Also through Philip's story, we saw God's love and message 
moving from the center to the margins. Um, uh, uh, Speaking of God's character and inclusivity of all people at a time where this thought was unpopular and counter-cultural. We also saw Philip's full reliance on the guidance of the Holy Spirit rather than his own strengths or what seemed logical to him. And finally, on chapter 10, we looked at Saul's uh, deep transformation. That will be chapter 9, actually. On chapter 9, we looked at, at Saul, that is the Apostle Paul, uh, a deep transformation uh, through an encounter with Jesus. Where he being the very evil who caused fear and even deaths to the early church, he is transformed by Jesus and becomes one of the most prominent leaders of the church. So that's a lot that we covered. Wanted to put it out there. If anything caught your, your, uh, caught your ears, uh, caught your attention, um, uh, obviously I will, uh, you can always go back to get more context. So, um, so uh, today though we are on part two of our Acts series. And here we will look at the story of Cornelius and Peter and how this story marks an important and pivotal moment in the history of Christianity and her spread throughout the rest of the world as a message accessible to all where God makes his vision and plan clear to two strikingly different individuals uh, that uh, indeed the gospel does not discriminate but it is for all and not just a selected group. Here the gospel is clearly open to all Gentiles that is the rest of the world and then the non-Jews. So this is what, what we're going to be talking about today. And again, um, we do have um, all, all of the past, the past, uh, the first third of the book of Acts. It's on our resources and our website. Or we got it on Spotify. We got it on Apple Music. So you can always go back and be like, oh, Pierre, what are those themes that you talked about? I, I'm, I haven't... I haven't been there or I want to kind of review it. You can always have the freedom to go back to it and listen to it at your own leisure. Um, but today we're looking at this. And this is just such a, as I said, very pivotal for the church. Very pivotal because the Christianity comes from the Jews. Uh, but then the Israelites were, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that they were going to be the light to the rest of the world. And, and that obviously progressively we can see that revelation becoming a reality. Uh, even if you go to the book of Jonah and God extending grace to the Ninevites. There is glimpses of that throughout the Old Testament uh, that calls into uh, to catapult Jesus as an ultimate uh, uh, you know, savior that will bring forth a salvation to the rest of the world. So we see that God's love and grace was always for the rest of the world. It's not that all of a sudden, 2,000 years ago, he was like, okay, yeah, now I'm going to open up my heart to the rest of the world. No, it's like in Genesis from the first book. He's like, no, you're going to become a blessing to the nations. And then, and then you, you see the, the mercy of God towards other nations, expanding it through. Um, there's, a, there's a seat here, uh, if you want. <laughs> you good? Okay. Um, yeah, I just want to make sure there's, there's seats here too if you want to see it over. Um, but um, so anyways, that's, uh, that's kind of like what we see on scripture, like that, that revelation that increases 
Um, but first, I want to give you a little bit of background here um, on this story in particular that really opens up to the rest of the world. Um, right? Here you go. So this is Caesarea Maritima. Caesarea Maritima, that's where Cornelius is from. That is the main character that uh, Ingrid was reading about, and that's a centurion, right? And he lived in Caesarea Maritima. Now, now that was a major intellectual hub that became a Roman province in 6 CE. That's about where Jesus was a child, you know. He was a, a kid, a little, kind of like, maybe around the age of Leo, maybe a little older. So, maybe when he was five years old or so, this city became um, a Roman province, right? And it became some of, of, of like, great importance. And it replaced Jerusalem as its civilian and military capital and became the official residence of its governor, of its governors, so it replaced Jerusalem, that is the, the regional area of Judea, which was conquered by, the, by Rome already. So it was under Roman oppression. And from all of that, the capital of it all was this place, was Caesarea Maritima, which also, um, by the way, I read that uh, this place was, um, was where uh, the governors resided. Uh, so Pilate resided here, the, the, the person that was uh, kind of like condemned Jesus to crucifixion. He, this, this was where his residence is. You can also find archaeological rests where Pilate's name is on a plate that was on that amphitheater over there. And so there is like all of these things that point back to Jesus, historically speaking, even of that Pilate was an actual person. That was real, and there is inscriptions back into the, all all the way here. And also, if you see, there is a harbor over there on the left. That was the first man-made harbor. So it's not that's not a natural harbor. He, Herod the Great actually built that up. They they built that harbor, and that it became kind of like a, a central place for like commerce and marketplace and and sort of like trade. Right now, this was also known for the Jews as a place where there was tons of Gentiles, meaning tons of Hellenists, non-Jews who ate all kinds of different foods that were unclean on the eyes, on the eyes of the Jews. And, and they were from all kinds of different sort of ethnicities. And, and they were here. You can see here also that the centurion uh, Cornelius was in charge of a cohort. Right. So he's giving you some context. It's a city of non-Jews within Judea. So if you want to go to a place where there is a lot of people that don't believe what the Jews believe. And the Jews don't really like to go there. Because there is a lot of like Roman influence. Because the center of power for Judea is in this place. Where commerce happened. Where centurions are settled. Where there is all these, these uh, soldiers are there. Just to keep the Romana Pacta. Right? All that stuff. This is the place. This is Caesarea Maritima, right? Now, now we, we also, and that's an amphitheater, um, obviously, that the, they have like all kinds of different uh, events and maybe even they might have killed Christians there as well, uh, overlooking to the Mediterranean Sea. 
And it's very, very modern for the time. They have an aqueduct too, where like the water comes forth. This is crazy. I was there and I was like, oh, wow. Um, and, uh, oh, another quick fact here is Paul was uh, actually, uh, that's where he, he appealed to Rome. So when Paul was in prison, he was in prison here. And then he appealed to Rome in this city and then went to Rome from there. Uh, so if you go there, you can see where Paul was sitting and he was getting judged. So it's just um, good stuff there. Well, what is a centurion? That's Cornelius, right? So he's the principal professional officer in the armies of ancient Rome. The principal, and I'm, I'm quoting here, this is not my own words. The principal professional officer in the armies of ancient Rome and its empire. The centurion nominally commanded about a hundred men. But we know that he was, he was like uh, on an Italian cohort, right? So you see that the, that the, the picture on the left is like a, a, a paint on the 16th century of Cornelius receiving the vision from the angel, as, as we were saying, and, and, and that, that there was a man that was going to come, that, uh, talking, that, they, that he needed to send men to Peter so that he can come back. And then on the right-hand side, you have, like, uh, obviously a centurion, and then you have the battalion right behind them, because he wears a red because he's a commander, and he's commanding the soldiers behind him to go to war, right? Um, and then, but what is an Italian cohort? What is an Italian cohort? So that's, um, that's a cohort was a standard tactical military unit of a Roman legion. What is a Roman legion? A Roman legion was about six, I believe, 6,000 soldiers. So although the standard size changed with time and situation, it was generally composed, a cohort, of 480 soldiers. That, that, now, what, what he meant that it was Italian, what, why, he wasn't, why Luke just didn't say cohort, you know? Why he had to say Italian cohort? Um, an Italian cohort probably means the men were from Rome and not natives of other cities in the Roman Empire. So it meant that probably the people that he was in charge, the 480 men that he was in charge in Caesarea Maritima, uh, were not from there. They were from other places, kind of like us here. We're not from New York City, but we're from all different places in a hub, right? That was a hub, a regional hub. Then, obviously, it was a very luxurious city. Um, and so it was with the military. They, they brought military to keep the peace, you know, exported them or imported them from Rome, you know, like well-trained military to keep... The Pax Romana in the Judean region. So, so with that being said, just gave you that background there. Uh, we're just going to, going to get into what happened here. So first we see from verse 1 through 8 that Cornelius' vision is that he's eager to receive. Now, first of all, he was an unlikely devout man. A Roman centurion living in a mostly Hellenized urban center. So for some reason, this, this uh, uh, Cornelius, who was a, a, um, who was a centurion, um, he was 
a devout, probably Jew. He was in Jew, but he was proselyte and he was God fearing. So he believed in God, but he was not fully proselyte yet. He was kind of like still on that sort of process. But he he feared God. That's why um, on the scriptures we see that that um, the angel said says on verse uh, four on verse uh, let's see on verse four he says your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, meaning like okay this is a man that feared God, but he wasn't able to fully grasp God's grace because. He wasn't a Jew, right? But he was eager to receive. He wanted more. He had an eagerness that, okay, I, I, I fear this God, but I feel like it's not enough. I know this God, and, and that's why I'm here. And you might be here because you, you might not be a Christian. That's okay. We're in different, different faith journeys. But, but this, this guy was in that faith journey too. He, wasn't full, he didn't know Jesus he didn't really know much. He was a Hellenized. He was a centurion. He was a, a, a you know, a tough guy probably. And, and charged administratively. But also like, like wanted to, I, I want that God. I, I, I want to find that kind of purpose. But I can't find it, you know. Um, but even then he was giving. He was uh, uh, fearing that God that he might not fully know yet as a, as a Hellenist himself, as a Roman. But he was an unlikely devout man. Why unlikely? Because he was Roman in a very Hellenized place, right? In an urban center. And he's given a vision to send men to Joppa where Peter, who was a Jew and an apostle of Jesus, was staying. So now we have a, a, a Cornelius who was eager to receive the good news. And he received this vision. That's probably why God chose him. Because he knew this guy is going to go because he's hungry for these things. And he immediately just sent out this, this avowed man to Jerusalem. Which was pretty much the opposite of Caesarea Maritima. Filled with non-Jews. Going to like the, the Jewish center in Jerusalem. Right? Uh, to to uh, actually he he went to Joppa, but that was not that was not in Jerusalem. But but he went to take uh, Peter, who was a Jew, who was a devout Jew, and he kind of have his reservations about uh, the whole thing about Christianity. So um, so we we have that contrast of Cornelius' vision. He's eager to receive, but Peter's vision, we see that he's reluctant to give. He's reluctant to give. So in contrast with Cornelius, Peter was also a leader, but an apostle, a sent out one. That's what we're sent to send. He was sent by Jesus to continue to send other people. And that has been appointed to bring forth the good news to those around him. Both were leaders, one a Gentile, the other one a Jew, both in charge of their own cohort. Right? They were both leaders. One a Gentile, one a Jew, but and they they had their own sort of cohort of people, but very different, right? So we can see though that Peter was still reluctant to God's clear plan of redemption, to the point that God had to show him that vision three times. Remember the vision of there was this platform of the four corners of the world coming down with animals from all over, 
And then God is like, kill him and eat it, you know. And he's like, no, I'm never going to eat this. And obviously Cornelius is in a place where all of these people are eating everything. and Meaning like it's, it's a very non-Jew place. So, so we see that, that Peter was still reluctant. He was still kind of like, okay, I don't know if I want to do this. But I, I even have a vision. Perhaps if God didn't give him the vision, perhaps he wouldn't be like, and the man would have gotten there. He would have been like, I don't even know who you are. He's like, are you, you come from that place? No, no, no. Jesus is good. Let's, let's take one step at a time. I know he was loving, but let's take care of the Jews right now. You know, that kind of thing. Maybe we'll get to you guys later. But right now, uh, no, thank you. You know, I'm going to still eat my clean food. I'm going to still uh, keep my Sabbath and keep my Jewish, Jewishness. You know, not that he didn't have to give up of his Jewishness. To be open for others to be reached by Jesus. So he had, uh, God had bigger, more inclusive plans of salvation, not just for the Jews, but for the whole world. So then we see on verse 17 to 20. So here we have the reluctancy to give. Um, the men came down to Joppa. They were like, hey, Peter, come down with us. Come. After the vision. After, after he was so perplexed about what, he just, what just happened, God is not wasting his time. He has the plan really like well done, you know. Okay, you're kind of thinking about it. The men are already there because I already talked to, to Cornelius, right? And, and so he's, hasta, uh, he's still kind of thinking about it. So he's like, okay, okay, I guess I'm going to go because God told me that I should go, you know. So, so we see that. And then on verse 23 to 33, we have that... Peter goes into, into Caesarea Maritima, and then what do we see? We see that, that Cornelius gathers many. He's so eager to receive. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to just gather a lot of people. I'm going to gather my family, my friends into my household. It's not going to just be for me, right? So, and, and also, Peter brings a couple men with him as a leader, right? And then we see on verse 24... You can see when they reach on verse 24. Um, and on the following day, they enter Caesarea and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And verse 25, it says, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Right. Because he was expecting this man who the angel was telling him to bring. So he thought maybe there is something here. That is very divine because, again, you can see the ignorance of Cornelius. He had eagerness, but ignorance. He didn't know much about what was going on. He was just wanted to learn. He just wanted to know more. I mean, he's probably really good at training 400 soldiers for battle, but he's not really good at what this thing is. And, and, and he's, but he wants it. He, he desires it so much so that he's like, whatever, I'm just going to bow down to this guy and... Knowing that Peter is like, oh, no, no, you only bow down to God, not to me. I'm, I'm just a man, you know. So, so then you see that, that one that knows, like Peter, knows a lot. And because he knows a lot and even has walked with God himself, Jesus. Even though he, was, he denied him three times, Jesus in his love re, resettled him back and put him back. Because we know that, that Peter... Uh, when, when, G when Jesus uh, was arrested, Peter denied that he was with Jesus, afraid of, of, of probably death itself. And, and then 
Even then, Jesus, uh, Peter denied his best friend. Jesus put him back and said, like, okay, it's okay. Go and feed my sheep. But even then, Peter, you know, being reestablished by the grace of Jesus, he still has, he's still human. He's still kind of reluctant to certain things. But you have reluctancy versus eagerness. And then you have someone that knows a lot, but is not as passionate as he used to, as he should be, while you have someone that doesn't know a lot, but wants it and is eager and is passionate. So we see those contrasts in this at, at the moment. In, in this specific issue, I'm sure Peter was very excited about bringing the gospel and healing people. But about this issue, he had a little bit of issues. And we know that because then Paul, later on in Acts, he, he confronts Peter and be like, Hey, Peter, come on, you just got to stop this thing about like not preaching to the Gentiles. All right. Like enough is enough kind of thing. You know, so we see that Peter struggles with this inclusivity. Like a lot of us in our day and age struggle with inclusivity as well because we are ethnic people and love our people. So, um, so then we see on verse 20, um, five that when Peter entered Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet, worshiped him, but Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too, I am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found what? And he, as he walked, talked with him, he went in, he was talking and went in, and found many persons gathered. It says not just persons. The Bible here in the Greek, it says many people, many persons were gathered. So Peter's like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of people. <laughs> What's going on here, you know? And you can see that because he says to them, to the crowd, he says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. So you, you, you said here, here, Peter is just confessing right away. He's confessing like, yeah, like, yeah, like, uh, yeah, you know this very well. Like we just, we don't, we don't like to be with other people from other nations. Like the fact that I'm in Caesarea Maritima, people from all different nations, it's a lot already, you know, kind of thing. So, so he's kind of like saying something about his culture. Um, and saying, but, but you know, I just received this vision, right? Like supernatural God coming um, and, and show me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection and I asked them why you sent for me. So now he's accepting that the gospel is for everyone. Right. And, and then so, so you have. Um, um, that, that, that Cornelius uh, gathers many in expectation of the message. So we, we'll get, we, we, we haven't put the message here yet, but we will get into it probably in the following weeks. But just to conclude what's going on here, right? We see Cornelius eager to receive Peter, reluctant to give. We see that Cornelius invites Peter and then he's gathering men in expectation of the message. He's expecting what's going to happen. Right? And then, um, and then you, we can see that because Cornelius here, uh, it, it says that um, 
here we're all gathered in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. They're just so ready to be so like, we're here, we're ready to, to receive this, right? So one of the things that I take away from this passage to finish up our teaching for the day is the following. God's direct involvement. His plan of redemption is for all. I have never seen, or there is not a lot of passages where God is directly involved in an event. Like vision after vision, just to make sure that this thing gets done the right way. He goes to Cornelius, has a plan, tells him exactly where he needs to go, exactly what the name of the person is, exactly where to go it's like you give him it's like dropping a google maps dropping you know basically on the vision that's what he did yeah (laughs) there you go so (laughs) that's funny i'm not gonna say hey siri because i'm everything uh so anyways um so it's like it's like a drop-in okay exactly where you need to go send them out and then as they're going then peter is getting a vision just as it happened, why God didn't do it before? Why he didn't do it later? Why he had to do it right there? Because then he gets it, he's, he's just perplexed and he's like pondering on it, but it doesn't give enough time for the flesh to come forth and kind of like try to like lo- logicalize what was said or try to kind of whatever, you know? It's just like, okay, yeah, I'm kind of thinking about this, what this means to me, and then boom, all of a sudden, the people are on the front door, they're coming, he's like, you gotta come. So, you have to see that God's direct involvement here, it's important that he wants the whole world to know who he is, what he's done. That he came to the world, that whoever believes in the Son of God may be saved, may be healed, may, may find hope. Right? That everyone has access, not just the Jews, but everyone has access through the Jews, through the Israelites, through Jesus, to the gift of love, salvation, peace, hope. And that's, and that's through Jesus, who he died for the things that we should have died, lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died. So that the nations may know that through his grace, through his unfavored, undeserved favor, can come and mingle with Him, with God Himself. Because sin separated us from God. And the, and, the de- and the consequence of sin is death. And we should have done that. Jesus as divine paid it for all of humanity. That's so that us, as we confess with our hearts, believe with our, confess with our mouth, believe with our heart that He is Lord, we can come into a knowledge of Him. And then Peter exactly, after these verses, that's exactly what he talks about. But that's not going to get into it today. But that's why he talks about the message, the gospel. God wanted the world to know. So, so he, he went to spoke with both God-fearing people, completely different backgrounds, Representing different peoples of the world at the time. He is intentionally pinpointing this. He somehow did not give space for human error. Given Peter's hesitancy, showed his plan to Peter in a supernatural way to be inclusive to all people. He somehow chose the rest of the world, represented in, in the centurion, in a leader, like a Roman, 
like Cornelius and Peter the Apostle, the one in which the rock of the church was going to stand, to collide in this meeting. From that point on, the world shall know who he is. It's just an important event that somehow we just kind of dismiss, but it, it is just so handpicked by God. So maybe you are in one side having known this message and forgetting that the gospel is indeed for the people we less expected. Even those that are too close to us that do not know the gospel yet. And we have forgotten on how much in need they are of it. As Cornelius was aware when he invited his family and friends to listen to the good news. Sometimes we are so close to the news of God that we forget, oh, my my dad doesn't know God or my child doesn't know God or my brother doesn't, my cousin or my friend who I always hang out with. But I'm always like, oh, yeah, I have a relationship with God. But then we just kind of forget about the need that there is of the gospel. On the other side, you might think that this, you might be on the other side, and you might think that this Christianity thing might work for some, but it is not necessarily for me. For different reasons, such as cultural background, intellectual arguments, religious backgrounds, etc., etc., that this might work perhaps for Westerners, you know, even though Christianity is an Eastern religion. Or weak-minded individuals. That might be for weak-minded individuals, not for me. I'm strong-minded. But perhaps God wants to let you know today that this was indeed His plan from the beginning. That perhaps the way to true peace, hope, healing, fulfillment can only be found by the Creator's plan of salvation and redemption through Jesus Christ. So let's reflect really quick here on these questions as we finish up. So who do I identify most in this passage? Just think about that. Is it Cornelius or is it Peter? Am I reluctant to change like Peter? Or perhaps eager for change like Cornelius. But Peter, all in all, he reluctantly still obeyed God. Because he knew it was true. He's seen enough miracles. He's seen, he's been with Jesus. He's experienced his love. That even though he reluctantly might have had to go through vision after vision, he still did it. He still went forth. He still brought the gospel. And even brought the gospel to the Gentiles here. And he did really good. Or perhaps you're eager for change like Cornelius. You might not know much, but you are wanting to know more. Or or perhaps you do know more and you want Cornelius' eagerness that has been lost through the years. It's just become too normal. Or the God direct involvement for the inclusivity and spread of his plans of redemption and healing to the world surprise me in any way? That, that, did that surprise you in any way? Did it change my perspective in some way? Perhaps you thought that God was just for some, but not for all. 
that it has accessibility to all. And finally, a very important question here. Is there anyone that I know of that is in need to experience and hear the good news of Jesus that I have overlooked? Perhaps that person that I have overlooked is myself. 